I love it. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're, we're, we're going. We're, we're here. Rolling. We're rolling. We're here. We're here. Hi. It's 1030 at night on a Monday. And it's Mel and Kate here. <laughs> I'm Kate. I'm Mel. And this is Dead Mom Society. The club that no one wants to be in. We get you. Let's do this. <laughs> we're just two girls who are not dead. We have dead moms, though. <laughs> and we're working through our shit. And we want to work through it with you. Yeah. And we recorded this episode that we're about to air literally two months ago. But anyway, we are now recording this intro. Yes. The Monday after Thanksgiving. Just to kind of recap where we're at, what we're doing, how we're feeling about our grief. Yeah. Um, There was one specific thing that I wanted to talk about, which was this interview with Andrew Garfield, I think. That's the person. Yes. Yes. And I'm right. You're right. I'm right. Original Spider-Man. No. Second Spider-Man. Sorry. Can you please? Original? No, I'm. No. That's Tobey Maguire. I'm sorry. (laughs) Everyone needs to be embarrassed for you right now. He's the middle Spider-Man. He's the middle child. He's the least loved. The most forgettable. I'm sorry. But also middle children all around the world. We love you. And you're important. You and you are too. valid. Just like Joe Jonas. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Andrew Garfield had this gorgeous episode on, I think, I don't remember who interviewed him. It was some late was night it talk Colbert? Shows. Colbert, perhaps. Kimmel, one of those. Some Maybe. white dude. Oh, I don't know. Oh, one of the Jimmies. Was it Jimmy Kimmel? Yes. Yes. It was Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. I feel like. It was I don't a, know. It was we a white straight talk show host. We don't know much more. <laughs> And he basically asked him about his grief because he lost his mother this year. And he said something along the lines of, I hope my grief never goes away because it is all of the feelings I never got to feel and all the things I never got to say. That's not exactly what he said, but that's what I got from it. That was the gist Mm -hmm. of what I got from it. And I don't get emotional very often about my grief. Except for lately. I've actually gotten pretty emotional lately, which has been really nice. But I watched this video, and it made me cry at work. (laughs) I had to go into, like, the pantry at work and just be alone for a moment because I watched this video, and it was so striking to me. Because that's exactly correct. Grief is not something that we should be ashamed of. It's not something that we should feel bad about or feel guilty about. It's just... It's the feeling of all the things you didn't get to say, all the things you didn't get to experience. Mm-hmm. And that's that. It was like that stupid quote from the Avengers show, what is grief if not love persevering? Yes. And I was just about to remind Kate of a quote she sent me a while ago that, I don't know, this isn't the exact quote, but you don't feel grief unless you feel love. Grief means you've loved someone enough to miss them. And it's so true. So, of course, you don't want to lose grief. You don't want it to go away because it's that person you loved. You know, it's a part of that. It's a part of that process of loving them still. Aww. Yeah. That's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a beautiful way to look at grief. And I really do believe this, and I have said this a couple times, that I think that grief is, I think there's a lot of beauty to it. And I think that a lot of good things can come from grieving someone that you love. Yes. And... We're going to get into, get into that in this episode. Yes. Now you see me bear my soul. And I choke up a, a hell of a lot more than Kate. So <laughs> have your tissues ready, people. <laughs> I will say it again. Our podcast is best paired with wine and a tub of ice cream. 
So get it ready, folks. We're ready to go. We're, We're ready, ready to go. freaking go. Yeah. Do you have anything that you want to touch on before we start? No, I think you covered it beautifully. Great. And that's just true. You know, there's something to be said about not wanting your grief to end, even though it's painful. Because it feels like when your grief ends, your connection to that person ends. And it's tough. So the grief never goes away. Mm-hmm. And your love grows stronger, I think, even postmortem. Hmm. You know? Yep. Totally know. All right. Well, here we go. Launching into Mel Domino's episode of my mama. One, two, three, go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mel, what was your mother's name? Her name was Lara Virginia Domino. And can you tell us a little bit about your dynamic with your mom and your mom's dynamic within your family? Yes. So my mom was my cheerleader. My mom was my support system. My mom was my accountability buddy. Um, My mom was my everything, my rock. And in the family, she was our glue. So I would say that she kept us together because she related to pieces of each one of us so that she could empathize with us easily, even when we were in turmoil. And she kept us together. So I love my dad and my sister to death. And my mom was always level-headed and ready to take whatever on she needed to take on for the team, the team being my family. Um, she was just team Domino, team Matt, team Mel, team Suze. So without her, you know, the glue dissolved. And it was up to us to keep it together. And I can say now, two and a half years later, that hell yeah, we worked and we got there and we have a super strong relationship, but it was not easy without my mom. It was much easier to feel connected with my mom here. Um, So what did your like day-to-day look like? What was your prominent emotions that you were feeling like? Yeah, elaborate. So my mom spent most of her dying process in the hospital, like a good month. Because really it was like nine months between when my mom was diagnosed to when she died. I think nine months. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that first month, she was just in the hospital. And I stayed with her every single night. So at the time, um, I was helping my dad support the family by working like three jobs, I think. And so... My days started pretty early going to my first job. I would go to my second job, and then I would go back to the hospital. Um, In the mornings, I would always, you know, have breakfast with my mom. We would watch Criminal Minds together. (laughs) Um, And then I would go to my jobs. I would call her at least, like, twice throughout the day because I was so annoying to her, probably. And then go straight back to the hospital. Um, I had all my clothes there. I showered at the hospital. I ate at the hospital when I could eat. I... I did everything. I worked out at the hospital. I ran stairs in the hospital one time. Um, I didn't want to leave. Like my day to day was just my mom. My entire life was my mom. Anything that came in between my time with my mom was an, was a hindrance. And I'm, I was so grateful for the jobs I had at the time. Um, because they were helping me support my, my mom, my family. And that was really important. But what was most important was that I got to spend time with my mom. Mm -hmm. So, um, luckily when, it was in the hospital. It, like, I wasn't doing a lot of the caretaking. Um, but, gross part, 
my mom had colon cancer. And um, there's a lot of gross things involved with that. You can use your imagination. Um, but I spent a lot of time helping my mom with that when the nurses couldn't get to her because they're oncology nurses who have a lot of other patients. So um, it involved a lot of that. It involved helping make sure my mom was clean and, and taken care of and making sure she was eating. Um, she was, by the time she was admitted into the hospital, she was a true skeleton. Um, she had 0% body fat on her. And I mean zero. So much so, she was so malnourished, she wasn't allowed to like get up on her own or sit in a chair on her own or go to the bathroom on her own. And she hated it. Because my mom was so fiercely independent. So, like, she would have to... <laughs> One night... This isn't funny, but it's funny now. Um, <laughs> and my mom had a dark sense of humor, so it probably was funny then, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we were... I was asleep, and I heard my mom saying, like, I really have to go to the bathroom. I need a nurse. I need a nurse. I need a nurse. And I'm like, you can't move. I'm sorry, Mom. Like, don't get up. Let me find a nurse for you. We're trying to get a nurse. And I just hear my mom fall, like, mm-hmm. splat on the ground. Um, and she was lying in her own waist because at that point she couldn't control anything going on there. Um, and that was, like, super tough, you know? I mean, <clears throat> you put yourself in their situation and think about how that would make you feel and, like, humiliating. humiliating. Mm-hmm. And so after that, she was on, <laughs> the funny part is that she was a fall risk. Mm-hmm. And that just pissed her off so much because she had to rely on the nurses for everything. And my mom had to go to the bathroom a lot. She, like, couldn't help it. It was mm-hmm. part of her cancer. Yeah. And so... She would get so annoyed and I would have to like force her to just lay down and wait and wait for the nurse and not get up again because she was a fall risk. Um, so it involved a lot of distracting her mm-hmm. in the day to day. We would just do fun things. My mom was just really easy to be around. She never really yeah. expected much of you when you were around her. She let you lead always. So like if I was having issues with a boy... She would just let me talk, 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 talk. If I was having issues with friends, she'd let me talk, 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 talk. And she's the one lying in a hospital bed dying. And it's like, how? How does this work? But she wanted to be distracted. That's how she wanted to be distracted. Sometimes we were just totally silent and we would watch Criminal Minds or Desperate Housewives. (laughs) And we would just binge it. Um, And then after she was out of the hospital, she didn't want to leave the hospital. Um, My mom felt very lonely at home. Especially when she was sick and couldn't do anything because my dad had to go into the office to work and I had to go places and work. Um, so it was very, there was a lot of trepidation involved. And um, my sister ended up leaving college to come home um, and take care of my mom too. And so when she was at the house, we didn't really get to spend as much time with her. Mm. Um, I saw her probably four times a week. Because I was living in a different city than her. I was living in Lakewood, and she was in Evergreen. And um, so I would go up and have dinner with her or do something with her, make sure she had her meds. Um, And then I would take her to her chemo appointments every other week. And she, um, I just, we would talk on the phone a lot, but I just didn't get to see her as much when she was at home. And that was really hard. And it was really hard to depend on my family. I love my family so much, but I am like, (laughs) 
I am the neurotic one. I'm the one who like makes sure she has her meds exactly at the exact time. I'm the one who knows. I had created a whiteboard mm-hmm. of every med she was taking, which, as you know, are a lot of fucking meds. <laughs> There's like 20 pills she would choke down. Um, so I wrote a whiteboard. I hung it in our living room. I got my m- mom a like a like a setup in the living room and all the things she said she loved from the hospital, like having a table over her bed or having the lotion and the hand sanitizer close to her, really little things. I made sure she had all of that right in the living room because she didn't want to stay in the bed because it was very uncomfortable um, and she had to be close to the bathroom. And so it was really hard giving up control of like what was going on when she wasn't in the hospital, when she was just at home. Right. And I had to work. And my dad had to work. I mean, we did not have the luxury of saying, like, we have X amount in savings. We can just spend this time with mom. And that part fucking sucks because she, I knew she was alone at times, you know, and just lonely and sad. So um, that's what that looked like. And then that was, I think, for a couple months maybe. Mm-hmm. And then I remember one, like, one week my mom was calling me a lot and she was saying her stomach hurt and to me I was like I'm so sorry mom like it must be like cancer or the chemo or like I, I I don't know like she had colon cancer and she had lesions on her liver she had lesions on her other organs I mean like it was all over so of course her stomach hurt and um she just kept complaining about it though and my mom was not a complainer so I was worried about it and when we went to her next chemo appointment um, we told the doctor and he was like, mm, okay, we'll check it out. And he realized my mom's like blood count was really low. So we had to go to the hospital anyway to get the transfusion. And he was like, you're too weak for chemo today. Um, and that was a concern always that she would become too weak for chemo because her lack of nutrition and being able to eat. And so he was like, we're not doing chemo. We're going to send you over to the ER. We're going to get you um, a blood transfusion and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. So we got the blood transfusion. She had to get scans, of course. And then um, scans are incredibly, were incredibly painful for her because she was just bones on like that flat stretcher they put you on. And it was extremely uncomfortable for her. Mm -hmm. And in the scan, they found out that she had abscesses near her colon and on other areas in her organs. And they had to go out and drain them immediately before they burst. And she became septic. They were too late. One burst. Um, She did become septic. So she had to have emergency surgery. So she was rushed in. I didn't realize it was so such an extreme surgery. I remember my dad telling me. Because like my dad had come. When my mom was in scans. And so I went and I got dinner. To try to take care of myself. Try to compartmentalize. And I was like, it's okay. She's going into surgery and they'll figure it out. The doctor called me and was like, you need to come and say goodbye to your mom before she goes into surgery. And we're holding. We can only hold for 15 more minutes, but we're holding until you can say goodbye. And I was like, what? So I rushed over there and they said goodbye to my mom and like, I love you. And I was like, this is just like an exploratory basically surgery. Like everything's fine. It turns out my mom's heart failed on her during surgery and it was a really intense surgery and she almost didn't make it. And so when she came out, she had, um, I'm blanking on the word, but, oh, the colostomy bag, Mm -hmm. which was the one thing she didn't want. And as soon as she got it, I knew 
I knew what that meant because that was the one thing she couldn't live with having just like shit hanging on you. She got out and my mom was never the same after that surgery. Um, so she was no longer coherent from that point on. And so there was about a month from the end of that surgery to when she died. And that month was really special because we got to, it was just me in the hospital with her again. And my, my aunt spent every single day in the hospital with her too. And like a lot of people came and went, which was great. Like some of her best friends. And that looked a little bit different than the first time. Because the first time it was like, okay, we're getting her on track to have these treatments. And doctors didn't give us a prognosis, or at least me. And so we were just like, okay, we're just going to fight this and do what we can. And it wasn't until like one day in her doctor's office, I saw that she had stage four B adenocarcinoma. That like last month with her in the hospital was really peaceful and nice, but just like also the worst because it was the decisions of, okay, do we remove her drains? And if we remove her drains, mm-hmm. there's a chance that she, bec- she could become septic again and die within like a few hours. And the decision of do we have, like, a permanent, like, catheter? Do we do this? Do we stop feeding her? Do we do we put a feeding tube in? Um, like, really big decisions that ultimately affect whether she's going to live or not. Um, my mom, growing up, told my sister and me our entire lives, and my dad, I will never be on life support. If there's an option for me to either go or be on life support, you're letting me go. I will not live on a ventilator, I will not be tubed up. I will not, I don't want any extraordinary circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so my sister and I were very clear with the doctor, like through our tears, obviously we're like, yes, remove the drains. Yes. Don't give her a feeding tube. Like she doesn't want any of that. She wants to just go if it's her time. Like we knew because she asked us that and it was a big fight with my dad because he was not ready to let go. And he was like, what the hell do you mean? We're not going to do something that could save her. It's not saving though. It's just prolonging exactly. an existence. It's not even a life. It's just well, and like... he kept talking about, like, we need to give her protein. We need to do this. Like, what's going on with her nutrition? This and that. And he was not going to want to remove any of that stuff. And so it was that night that we decided to do that, that um, we thought she was just going to go. And I think... <laughs> I remember this. Because <laughs> you came. You came to the uh-huh. hospital that night. And she <laughs> was like, okay, so when are they going to do it? <laughs> That's what she asked my sister and me. When are they going to do it? And I said, do what? She's like, well, you know. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, remove the drains? And she's like, no, no. Like, you know, the morphine, the push. And she's like, when are they going to, you know, off me? And I was like, oh, my God. Mom, you're not having assisted suicide right now. Oh like, God. that's not what's happening. That can't happen here. Oh it's my not God. legal. And she was like, oh, okay. Like, she was so disappointed. <laughs> what are they going to off me? I know. And anyone who knows my mom knows that that's oh God, exactly who she was all the time. Hilarious. Um, but she was ready to go at that point. Mm-hmm. She was done. She was like, okay, I'm sick of this. And like you said, she had one foot in, one foot out. She would say things to us like, like she would get really quiet and she'd be like, oh. She would start talking to someone and we're like, who are you talking to, mom? And she's like, oh, shh. She said, they're tempting me with a halo. Or things like that. Or um, she would wake up from a nap and she'd be like, they said they're going to give me a set of wings. Or like very cool spiritual things. Mm -hmm. And so that part of the caretaking process was fun because I wasn't really taking care of her. I was more just like being there with her. Yeah. And enjoying that, those moments with her. Mm -hmm. 
And I will also say, like, a part of, like, like, caring for her is tough when you get the, like, million calls and texts and emails. And when some people reach out to you to say, like, oh, I just want to come visit her. And you're like, you haven't talked to my mom in probably a decade. What do you mean you want to come and visit her? Mm -hmm. And, like, I will say I'm harsh about that. Mm -hmm. I'm super harsh about that. And I couldn't be in the same room with some people when they came to visit because I was like, this is the most... It's a show. Insensitive. Yeah. It's just like, it's a total fucking show. Oh my God, a total show. Makes me sick to my stomach. And you saw me. I had to kick someone out one time because mm-hmm. I was like, this is not happening. You Over my dead body. Like, yeah. will this happen? Yeah, it was just not as routine. That was the best part of COVID for me. Yeah. Which sounds insane. But like, COVID for our family was a little bit of, not a little bit, a huge blessing in that sense. Yeah. That people could not come over like sorry you can't come over and it was so nice for my mom because she got to save her energy for you know seeing people that she wanted to see or talking on the phone to people that she wanted to talk to and people who didn't were in her life anymore couldn't pop back in to say come out of the woodwork yeah and also essentially pop back into after she died say oh well I saw her in her dying days and she seemed so peaceful fuck that no exactly not into it yeah and that was a big thing i had an issue with i mean like one thing that was super amazing was that three of her her three best friends in her whole entire life chris peter and beverly all came out at the same time it's incredible and it was a miracle that all of them could come out at that time and they were with her and they got to share moments that were really special like they had been friends with my mom since one of them since they were in like second grade and the rest like since college and since like high school since super formative periods of time in her life who knew her through every stage of her life that was really special it's just overwhelming and you realize kind of like you touched on that person becomes your whole life and your whole purpose like I knew every day when I woke up I I would just look over and my mom was there and I was gonna spend the day with my mom or I was gonna see her at lunch or I was gonna see her after work and it's fine like I didn't hang out with one friend until like she had right before she went back into the hospital I wouldn't, like, I wasn't really doing anything for me. Like I said, I would work out at my place. I had just rented an apartment, and I didn't spend the the entire first month there one night. It didn't matter because my mom was my life. Yep. It literally nothing mattered. I was like, okay. And everything, I needed everything to revolve around my mom, too. Like, I'm sure I was annoying as shit to my sister and my dad (laughs) because they still did things that were self-care for themselves that they needed to do. Like my dad needed to work and he needed to see his friends. My sister needed to be with her friends for that comfort. And I was just like, I cannot leave my mom's side. Like this is my everything. And it's a part of your life that you grieve mm-hmm. with the loss of your parent because yeah, you're like lost months of your life. Yeah. And you wouldn't give them for anything. I, I wouldn't know. That's what you needed to do. And it's what you wanted to do in that moment. Exactly. It doesn't make it any easier. Right. And it's like entirely, you become an entirely different person so fast when it's you're just in this isolated world with this one person. And then they don't get to see how it changed you. Mm. And that's another thing that I struggle with. So that's kind of just what it looked like from when she was diagnosed to when she died. Yeah. That's intense. It was really intense. Yeah. It was. What was the hardest part about helping her die and what was the most rewarding part? I would say 
the hardest part was like not being ready to let go because I felt like I knew my sister and I talked about this a lot. Like we knew it was time for mom to go. Mm -hmm. She was not herself. She was not thriving. She was barely living. She was only hanging on for, we, we think my dad, like she was gone, but the idea of like doing things without her was so hard then. And it's clearly still hard now because helping someone leave you is just impossible because you know, it's what they want and that's what makes it okay. But it's not what you want Mm -hmm. and it's not fair. So I'd say that was the hardest part. Um, the most rewarding part was being able to like be in a little bubble with her and being able to, to have these like stupid little memories of like a nurse coming in asking, okay, what is your pain level from a one to 10? And my mom one time said, "Mm, I'd say a four with a shot of tequila. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even make any sense, but it was hilarious. And I knew what she meant, you know, like, okay, yeah, with a shot of tequila, it's a four. Okay. (laughs) So probably a 10. Okay. (laughs) Um, Or like sitting in the room and me kicking everyone out of the room because I was tired of it. And Mm. my mom was tired too. And I just remember everyone leaving and holding her hand and being like, sometimes it's just a lot, mom. And she said, but we're not doing it for us, no. It's for them. And I was like, how the fuck are you going to say that right now? You are dying. How are you giving everyone the benefit of the doubt? Like, you're not even taking the chance to just rail on everyone if you wanted to. It was just pure pureness that's what it was yeah or like a moment of my mom really really wanted some wine and tequila and margaritas and tacos like that's what she wanted one night that's all she wanted and we were like asking the nurse like can we just bring alcohol in here they were like absolutely not like you can't feed your mom (laughs) that and I was like oh shoot okay so then I went out and got it and I brought it in the room anyway because my mom wanted it I'm like I don't Mm -hmm. care Kick me out of the hospital. Try. Like, yeah. I don't... You know how much I care about your rule about no alcohol right now? <laughs> I don't give I a care, shit. I don't give one shit. And my mom, just the joy on her face, drinking this margarita and eating this taco. All she wanted. That's all she wanted. And she was so happy. It's awesome. And just, like, those little memories of being, uh-huh. like, so... Being mischievous with her was fun, because that's who she was. Yeah, she was a total... Oh, oh my I God. Should... Well, like, yeah. another memory of her that I just kind of loved... Um, is we were convinced this was like the night she was going to die and it was her best friends were there. My aunt was there. My cousins were there. My dad and my sister were there and we were all holding hands around her and like kind of holding her and like we like put some nice lights in there or something and all of a sudden my mom goes (gasps) (laughs) and we all freak the fuck out because we're like this is her last breath. This is her last breath. We all freak out and she goes, <laughs> just kidding. Oh my God. She pretended to die and she thought oh it was hilarious. I, and I that was like, <laughs> like, probably one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. Oh my God. I'm like, are you Laura. kidding me? Oh my goodness. So those times were very rewarding because it's things that you don't like bring up in casual conversation. Like, yeah. by the way, my mom pretended to die a couple of days before she really died. Yeah. Like, it's hilarious to me because it was hilarious to my mom. It should be hilarious to most people because that's, that's <laughs> fucking funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love a flair for the dramatic, you know? <laughs> it's amazing. 
Um, have there been any things that you have not been able to do since losing your mom? Hmm. Good question. I don't know. I'm sure there are. Like places you haven't been able to go, songs you haven't been able to listen to, oh. or like, for example, I have gotten a lot clumsier, so I can't like hold glass anymore because I'm going to drop <laughs> it. Like how, like okay. what kind of things in your day to day? Yeah. Have you lost the ability okay. to do, I guess? I would say I am way more emotional. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of lost my ability to hold it together most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> like I used to be not a crier. I used to be like you, Kate, like where I was like, oh, you really have to make me cry because I don't want, I like, I want to cry, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I'm watching like an episode of something funny, like New Girl. And I'm crying because <laughs> of this one thing with the dog maybe. And I'm like, this is not me. So I kind of lost my ability to hold together. And on the same note, I also feel like I kind of lost, not like a brightness about me, but I'm much harder and colder. And I know that about myself. And it, I used to judge that about myself a lot in these past, like, two and a half years of like, God, Mel, like you're not as like happy-go-lucky as you used to be. You're not as like fun, but I'm sure you'll get it back. But I don't think it's, that's a part of me that I buried with my mom. You know, I'm not going to get back to that same Mel who's happy-go-lucky and all the time and like can just find something positive and something to be grateful for no matter what my circumstances. I'm just not there. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know that it'll come back because I am harder and I'm colder and I have not a pessimistic view on things, but I do feel like I have a more practical view on things. Mm. And I'm just a little bit, I don't give everyone as much of the benefit of the doubt. And it's very interesting. It's an interesting part of me to change. Do you think that's like part of your coping or do you think that's part of your, do you think it's like a defense or do you think it's like a rebuilding? Does that make sense? I think, yeah, that does. And I think it's like a rebuilding. Mm-hmm. I think that I am a happy person, like anyone who knows me. I have a happy disposition. It's not like it's not like I'm. You never laugh. <laughs> it's not like I'm mad all the time, or like I walk around with a storm cloud. Like I'm a generally happy person. Mm-hmm. I just am much more guarded because I don't want to waste my time. Ooh. You know, I and like that. I don't mean it as a mean thing at all. Like I've said that about people before, where I'm like like a group of friends will want to go and hang out with some people and I will say, I'm going to pass. And they'll say, why? Like, don't you think we should go to like make it look better? And I say, I really don't want to waste my time doing something I don't want to do. And it's not like the, it's not saying like those people suck and I don't want to hang out with them. It's like, I know for a fact I have only a certain amount of time on earth and this might just be one Saturday but I do not want to waste one Saturday doing something that I don't want to do if it's not going to benefit anybody that I love. Mm-hmm. Like, there were a lot of things I didn't want to do with my mom taking care of her, but it benefited her always. So it was easy to put my pride aside or whatever. But if it's not going to benefit anyone, then why am I going to What's waste the point? it? So I do think it's part of rebuilding and kind of conserving energy. I also, like, can't listen to, to certain songs anymore without breaking down. Like, I don't think there's anything I can't do at all, but I can't do it the same. Mm-hmm. Like, don't listen to the song Supermarket Flowers by Ed Sheeran because that's a really hard one and I can't listen to that one anymore. Oh, no. Can't listen to a lot of Christina Aguilera because that was her favorite. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned that, like, being at home was, like, a very comforting place for you. I 
cannot go back to my childhood home. We sold it. And I thought I was going to feel like a twinge of like sadness when we sold it. I didn't. I feel so relieved because that was such a dark place for me to be in after my mom died. Mm. Because it was everything that I couldn't have anymore um, in my eyes. And also, I mean, the time that she spent there towards the end was painful too. I mean, it was extremely painful. And it, like she did last, not want to be there. Yeah, last memories that she has of the house are not great. So it probably makes it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say mostly those are the things. Yeah. A lot of things that my mom and I shared, I love to do still. Yeah. Like I love sweet potatoes still. And I'll always remember her because I make sweet potato mash and I, I eat it with her. Or I love that she was super mischievous. So I love to be pranked and I love to prank people. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing. I love um, it. I know. Or um, just like walks, barefoot walks. My mom loved to walk barefoot. And that's something I'll do just to remember. Because I don't, I didn't used to like that. But because my mom used to do that with me. I do it. So, mm. I think there's not a lot of things I can't do anymore. I think it's just like I changed the way I can do things. Mm. Okay. That makes perfect sense. How has your body changed since you've been grieving? Like, where do you feel grief in your body? What kind of, like, mm. physical changes have you noticed? It's a really good question. Um, mostly I feel my grief in the same place that I feel depression and that's in like my gut and my legs. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just like a really heavy feeling. And I also feel with grief, a sucking feeling near my heart because it's just like this feeling of like what I imagine a black hole feels like Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like sucking everything out of you into nothingness. I'd say that. My body has changed in how I feel happiness as well. And like, I talk about this a lot with my therapist, being able to fully celebrate something is really hard for me. Even if it's a huge accomplishment, I kind of just want to get past it. Mm -hmm. I get really proud of myself and excited, but not like I used to when I could share it with my mom. Yeah. So also the feeling of happiness in my body is not the same. It's not as everlasting as it used to be. Yeah. What have, so I kind of mentioned this last time that like, I don't, I have a hard time feeling connected to my mom Mm -hmm. and there's like, you know, not that many things right now that kind of help me feel connected to her. Like, what's your experience with that? Do you have things that you do on purpose to maybe help you feel connected? Have you, has there been anything like surprising but you're like, oh, I didn't realize this is going to remind me of her. Like, what, how do you, how have you gotten through that, like, connection? Yeah. I would say that I felt a lot like you felt where I was like, no, I don't feel connected to her. And I felt frustrated in that first year because everyone around me was having good dreams about my mom. And I was having dreams about my mom dying. <laughs> if you're having dreams about someone's mom, don't fucking tell them about it. Because it's going to feel like shit that they're not like having shit. dreams about their mom. Okay? PSA. Guys. It's going to feel tell like shit. Tell your mom. Tell someone else's tell mom. Someone don't else. tell the person who's fucking mom dying. And if you're not sure if they want to hear it, ask them. Mm. And they'll probably say no. <laughs> that was really hard for me. Because my mom... The only time I saw my mom in dreams was when she was dying in my dreams. 
And so that, I was, I mean, I relived that for the first month every single night. And I mean every single night. Um, So feeling connected to her, I would say that, so my mom was a writer and her entire, as you know, her entire life's work was on suicide awareness because she lost her mom to suicide when she was 16. So she has journals and journals and journals. She wrote a book that we're working on getting published Mm -hmm. and she has videos from all of her speaking engagements. So when I watch those, I really feel connected to her because when you lose someone, I think something that you forget about is you lose what they sound like. And so to be able to hear that is so, that's what makes me feel connected to her because her voice was everything. She shared her life story to help other people on a daily basis. And so also like hearing her voice and her writing makes me feel connected to her big time. Yeah, I mean, I think, weirdly enough, something that makes me feel connected to her is when I experience <laughs> frustration with my dad that maybe she experienced with my dad. And I'll be like, Mom literally told me about this one time. God damn it, okay. And I get annoyed, but I'm like, okay, I feel you, Mom, get it, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd say those are like the main ways that I feel connected to her. And I think that it's hard for me because it's not tangible. Mm. And like I mentioned before, to me, grief is tangible. I feel it. I can taste it. I can touch it. Like, it's such a powerful feeling. And me feeling connected to her feels like a fleeting moment. Always. It's something I can't hold on to. And maybe that'll change or maybe it won't. But mm-hmm. that's kind of how it feels right now. Yeah. So, I asked this before of helping her die, but... Since she's passed, I mean, it's a broad question, so if you don't have, like, a, you know, direct answer to it, that's okay. But since she has passed, what's been the hardest part about her death, and then what's been the most rewarding part? Okay, good question. (laughs) Um, I know. I would say, like, one of the hardest parts about her death is every missed milestone, which I've talked about a couple times. But, like you said, it's the small things. Like... I don't know. I got my real estate license and I really wanted to tell my mom. Yeah. And yeah, I get it, everyone. Well, you can still tell her. Okay, <laughs> but not really. <laughs> like you can tell her, but you don't get that feedback. You don't you don't mm-hmm. get to hear her say I'm so proud of you. Yeah. It and sucks. it makes it harder for me. PSA to anyone I love who's listening when people say your mom would be so proud of you. I don't like that. And I understand that that's just someone trying to help. I really do. And I really appreciate it. But it does not help me at all. It makes things much worse because I've thought of that. (laughs) I know she's proud of me. But she doesn't get to tell me. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't doesn't matter. Um, And I think that just kind of goes along with not being able to celebrate things to the full extent that I used to be able to. Because I'm a cheerleader. Like I am a hype girl. I love to hype people really up. She really is. She's really good at it. And I got it from my mom because that's what she was to my sister and me our whole lives. She was our hype girl. She was forever team Susie and Mel. Someone messed with us, she would charge into that school and take care of it. Someone was helping us out, she would treat them to dinner and coffee the next day. Like, oh my God, she was just so team us. Made us feel like we were unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So not having that like consistent... um like hype girl mm-hmm. is the hardest part for sure. So I didn't think it was going to be an easy question, but that is it. Like that's for sure it. 
um, because it covers everything, you know? Yeah. So, um, and my mom was my comfort along with my hype girl. Because believe it or not, my mom was like the seventh death I had experienced close to me in four years at that point. Um, And so every loss I've experienced since then just makes it extra hard because that was the person I talked to. I love my sister and my dad to death. I would do anything for them and I love them. And we actually have a very strong relationship. But it's, they, my mom knew what to say when you lose someone. She can't say anything if you're the one being lost. And then once she's gone, I'm, I like search for that in other people. And it's not fair because they can't give me what my mom gave me. And then I would say like rewarding coming out of the other side is just my appreciation for what death means. Like, I don't know if you feel the same way. I'm not afraid of death at all. Death is the least scary thing to me at all. My own death. Other people's death, still terrifying to me. Mm -hmm. Can't handle it. Very triggering. My death, I'm like, doesn't really scare me. Mm -hmm. So I think it's made me a little bit bolder because I also view life as, is this a life or death situation? And if the answer is no, then I might mess up, but I'm not going to care as much because it's like, okay, this is really serious. Sure. I don't know. Maybe it's like a fight with a friend or maybe it's something at work. But I take a step back now. And instead of getting kind of trapped into like an anxiety spiral, I'm like, is this life or death? Like, is someone going to die over this? Probably not. Yeah. And it's probably going to be fine because you already went through the hardest thing in your entire life. Yep. And if you've made it through that, you can probably go through this and it might suck, but it's not going to be as bad. So I think that's something that like helped me come out on the other side that feels rewarding that I know my mom would like she that was her lifestyle forever she did that even before she lost someone so I think that's probably the most rewarding part yeah that's amazing it's so true though I mean it's like what was the worst that could happen I could die like okay (laughs) cool gonna give my mom a hug I don't know that's not scary like it's not I mean there's a big difference between you know like I'm not this is not suicidal feelings or anything like at that. all. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I love my life mm-hmm. even when it's hard. Want to keep living it. Want to keep, have a lot to live. Right. But just like, instead of being afraid of like, like my worst fear is drowning. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm bolder on the water now because I'm like, if I drown, I die. That's, that's going to happen. It's yeah. fine. It was meant to be, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Instead of being so afraid, I won't do it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just kind of given me a little bit more courage and boldness. I had that with driving a lot when she first died. I had that with driving a lot where I would be like at a stop sign or like something and be like, well, because I'm not afraid of driving. I don't know why that like, it came in that way, but I would just be in my car and be like, if I were to get hit right now, it really would be fine. Everything's (laughs) okay. It's really fine. Whatever. We're okay. (laughs) Take me, bus. Well, and I think a big part of it, Kate, is that you and I, our moms described the scene where they were going. Yeah. They knew. Yeah. (laughs) And like that sounds way better than life sometimes, so it's not yeah. scary. I think that's it's a like, really good point. And you earn it, like in my opinion, like you earn what you get in the afterlife, whatever it may be. Um, and you have a lot of life to live, or at least I do, you do. And so it's wonderful to enjoy the life you have, but just without the fear of death like encroaching on you, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes it a little bit easier to live. Yeah. What has surprised you about your grief? Like, has there has there been anything that you've 
I'm not going to elaborate. What surprised <laughs> <you>? <laughs> Yes. I would say the biggest thing that surprised me is that my grief makes me feel very insecure. Hmm. Um, and I didn't really realize that until like a few months ago, actually. Um, and so <laughs> I, I already am an anxious person. Growing up, I've done a lot of work on myself with therapy <laughs> of growing my like self-confidence and not attaching my view of myself to what others might perceive me as. And when I lost my mom, I kind of lost a little bit of that. Mm. Um, and I was really just trying to be the best version of myself with different people. And it was harder to kind of put on a show with people because I didn't have the energy and I couldn't. I was sad. I was missing my mom. It didn't matter. Like, what this person thought of me then but on that after like hanging out with them or after being around them I would just be in a spiral of like oh my god they probably think this about me now they're not gonna want to call me there what if I need their help like what's gonna happen I'm ending this relationship I just lost my mom now I'm losing them and like I would spiral big time and that's just like something that's been recurring since my mom left is when I'm grieving my mom's death I'm the most insecure Mm. And I'm always grieving, but I mean like... When you're like feeling it. When I'm feeling it. Yeah. Because I'm em- I'm embarrassed when I'm unable to get out of bed. Even though I know for it's practically for a super valid reason. Or I'm embarrassed when I'm crying and everyone else is on the dance floor. Mm. I'm embarrassed. Even if it's because of a super valid reason. And like if I were talking to someone else who was experiencing what I was experiencing, I would be like, girlfriend, like... This is normal. This is what people go through. I'm so proud of you for going through it. But in my head, I'm like, you're such a loser. Pull it together. You are better than this. You are, you know, graduating three years summa cum laude with three jobs. You are help support your family while your mom is dying. You are um, take care of, of anyone who needs to be taken care of. You are not this pathetic person sitting on the bathroom floor crying. But <laughs> sometimes I am. <laughs> and so... Um, I just feel so insecure and it affects my relationships with people big time because then I'm not, I'm not myself when I'm insecure because I'm second guessing everything I'm doing and I'm sure I can be annoying or withdrawn or cold because I don't want to do or say the wrong thing. Mm. And that just like comes from my grief. It's not something I've ever been able to really connect to before, um, my feeling of insecurity and it totally comes with my grief. And I think a big part of it is that, my, like I said, my mom was my cheerleader. And I did rely on her for some of that encouragement and reinforcement, as a lot of people rely on from their mom. And so to not have that, just making any like decision with a friend or even with a work or moving. Like, I've moved three times since my mom died. I mean, yeah, I'm about to move for the third time since my mom died. And it's just like... Am I doing the right thing? Am I moving in the right place? Like, okay, if I'm going to take this next step with this person, is this the right move? Like, who am I supposed to talk to about this if I can't talk to my mom? But if I talk to someone else, will they make fun of me for it? Will they have their own opinions? Just a lot of insecurity. That has kind of surprised me. Mm -hmm. I think I'd be able... I think I I went into grieving my mom's death thinking, I'm going to be able to lean on people and not feel weird about it. No. (laughs) I was lying to myself. (laughs) That is not the case. (laughs) Yeah. That's, it just, it just makes you, just makes you question and just like makes you feel like you don't 100% know yourself as much as you do when you feel some type of way that you're not used to feeling. A thousand percent. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
another thing you know about me is that I've struggled with an eating disorder, like, since college. So, <laughs> a part of my insecurity comes from the way I look and the way I appear. And when my mom was in the hospital, um, I was eating maybe, like, a banana bread and a coffee and, like, a pudding every day. And it wasn't because of my eating disorder. It was because I was not wanting to eat because I didn't have an appetite because my mom. But I got really skinny. I lost 15 pounds when she was in the hospital. After my mom died, I ate a shit ton. <laughs> and I binged and I developed um, or I redeveloped kind of that unhealthy relationship with food I had prior. And then I went into purging in the form of working out. And ever since my mom died, I'm kind of in this little cycle of my eating disorder again and it's just been really interesting because I think it ties into my feelings of being insecure that are tied to my grief mm. and it's something that can be tough because if that's another person you, like my mom I talked to her about it because she had an eating disorder growing up and so it was someone I could rely on to bounce ideas off of and like we would talk about our intuitive eating methods and how that helped us and so feeling insecure about not only the fact that maybe I'm gaining weight or maybe I'm not working out as much as I used to, or maybe I'm skinnier than I am. Like, not being able to address that with her is hard. It's just hard in general to feel uncomfortable in your body, and then to feel uncomfortable in your body while you're grieving makes it complicated. Hard layer, yeah. And then also to not have her to kind of, like, be proud of me. Like, Mom, I have been on track for intuitive eating for, like, two weeks or whatever. I'm so excited. Like, who else is going to celebrate that with you, you know? Like, it's kind of specific. So I do think that it all ties into just feeling more insecure when I'm grieving. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, I don't know, for the last one, I just kind of want to know, like, actually tell me something really positive about your mom, like about your relationship, like a funny memory, anything mm -hmm. that when you're feeling some type of way, something that you think of that actually makes you feel happy. Mm hmm. Hmm. I literally have so many happy, funny memories with my mom because she was such a loud personality mm -hmm. um, that I don't even know if I could narrow it down to one memory, but just a one feeling, I guess, is mm. that because of what my mom did, um, helping like suicidal people, especially teens, how she took something so negative, an experience she had losing her mom to suicide and it derailing her life and like something so negative, probably the worst time in her entire life and turned it into something so powerful she literally saved people's lives and so I think about that a lot when I think about like what was me I miss my mom which is okay which is valid there's nothing wrong with that just in my head <laughs> it turns into like me being pathetic and all this stuff mm -hmm. so when I think of that I think about all the things that hopefully I can do with the sadness like is there anyone there I could brighten or is there anyone I could help with this like this was meant to be for a reason. I'm a big believer of that. And it sucks, but like, how am I going to turn it around into something positive? How am I going to turn it in around to something that helps people because that's what mom did? And if mom did it, I can do it. So it's more of just like a feeling of like the person she was. Mm. She was the most, she was the loudest one in the room. At parties, like any party we went to, she had a way of just like everyone would gravitate to her. Like, I'd be in a conversation with someone, and the person would go, like, where is everyone? I'm like, probably with my mom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> almost always with my mom. That's what's going on. Um, she just made a difference in people's lives. She made you feel so seen and so heard. And I think that's one thing that touched me that 
people who barely knew her, maybe met her once or twice, would say to me, like, um, I remember my one friend was like, well, I didn't know your mom that well. I've only met her once. But the one time I met her, she made me feel more seen in her to my life than I've ever felt. And, like, that is who my mom was to a T. She could, she was the most incredible listener. She was the most uplifting person, like, annoyingly positive, while also being so aware of her own emotions and working through them. Yeah. Never would let us brush off a bad day. It was always, what made it bad? Let's talk about it. So annoying, because I was, like, a 13-year-old. You're like, I just had a bad day. I want to slam my door. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but, of course, I'd be like, okay, tell me about your bad day. And then how she would end up every conversation like that is, like, Okay, now that we've talked about it, was it really a bad day or a good day with bad moments? Like, okay, mom, <laughs> obviously the latter, obviously, but okay, do we have to go Just there? let me have this, mom. <laughs> or like if my sister and I were, you know, hormonal teenagers and kind of stuck in like, this sex and this sex and this sex, my mom would tell us, she'd be like, okay, girls, new rule, every morning, every, not morning, afternoon when you come home from school, I want to hear for everything you complain about, I want to hear a good, like, a thing you're grateful for. And we were like, that's so annoying. Like, mm-hmm. why do we have to do that? But it totally trained us in the future now. We ask ourselves that. Like, I'll be like, Sue, well, what are you grateful for today? Mel, what are you grateful for today? Like, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, my God, we're mom. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like memories and moments like that and pieces of her like that that are just so positive, just completely Lara Domino. Yeah. Uh, she was just a bright light to the fullest and she didn't give one fuck what people thought about her she didn't care she didn't care she would go into a busy street and start barking just because she thought it was funny (laughs) and people were like what the fuck is wrong with her like does she need to be admitted like and my dad and I would get so embarrassed like oh my my god God. like everyone's looking at us she didn't care she's like I don't care this is my life one time leaving a wedding she mooned every single person in the wedding party for fun because she thought it would be funny. So one time, this is a little explicit, (laughs) but one time she went through a fast food joint. I don't even remember which one. My aunt could tell you the story. And she ordered on purpose like a dick and two fried balls. And the lady asked her what she said, hoping my mom would change her answer. She didn't. And then... She went through the line and she asked where her food was because she thought it was so funny. She was just that person all Mm -hmm. the time. Everyone wanted to be around my mom. Yeah. Even after people would stop being my friends, I remember girls coming up to me being like, oh my God, how is your mom? Like, I would love to get together with you and see your mom sometime soon. And I'd be like, oh my God. So those are things I think about often. Yeah. Like those kinds of moments and just pieces of who my mom was mm-hmm. that make things seem a little better yeah, or lighter or like easier to get through the day. Yeah. And it seems like you're able to kind of harness some of that too and do it yourself, which is pretty fucking cool. I hope so. Not always. Not the master like my mom. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, you know what, mom? It was a bad day. <laughs> and you can't do anything about it. Okay. That. <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably, like, such a huge part of it for so many people, too, is, like, when they have parents that were really awesome, is not having that awesomeness anymore and sometimes feeling like you have to fill their shoes. But you can never, ever be that person. You can take little pieces of that person and help keep their spirit alive, but, like, there's no use. You just got to be yourself, Mm -mm. you know? And your parent 
will have put enough of themselves into you that other people will see them shine through you, which is it's a really so cool true. part of it. It's so true. And I think that it's like I grew up in a house where we talked about grief and we talked about mortality. So like we got lucky because my mom would talk about mm-hmm. death. It was weird. It was weird foreshadowing. But she would talk about death. She would talk about exactly what she wanted for her funeral. She would talk exact about exactly what she thought death meant to her. And what's really interesting is that, because you and I, something I noticed is we had different experiences with our relationship with a higher power mm-hmm. after our moms died. Yes. And like for me, I didn't grow up religious at all. My parents basically told us what religions they were grown up as. And my mom was Episcopalian. My dad was Catholic. And how they no longer were, like, affiliated with those beliefs. Um, My mom was more just, like, spiritual, oneness. She didn't really have a label on what she believed. And my dad was an atheist. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, but they told my sister and me, you know, you go explore whatever you want to explore. And we support you. And however you feel connected to this life and to death and everything. I mean, I went to Buddhist temples. I I studied Hinduism. I went to... Um, Judaism temples, Jewish temples. Um, I went to, obviously, churches of all different branches of Christianity. And um, I really, like, believed in a lot of stuff my mom believed in growing up. And then when my mom was getting sick, I just, like, I started reading the Bible more. And that started to resonate with me, like, big time. The idea of heaven and hell and, and the idea of, like, spiritual warfare the idea of being a good person just to be a good person because Carmen doesn't exist. <laughs> and like those things to me started to make sense. And I think a part of it is because I lost the idea that karma was real because the best person in the world got two fucking cancers and died. Mm-hmm. How? Mm-hmm. She did so many wonderful things selflessly in her life and she gets that fucking shit. So for me, that's what changed my mindset of like, it isn't karma. It's not put good out and you'll get good back. It's just put good out to be a good person. Like if you decide you're going to be a good person, just do it to be a good person. Don't expect anything in return. Um, Just decide that's the life you want and move forward. And it made me feel connected to kind of like Christian beliefs because I really believe my mom is in heaven too. The way she described it was very biblical and it just makes me feel closer to her. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that grief can warp your views one way or the other because you had an entirely different experience Mm -hmm. than I did yeah yeah I just I don't know for my mom she was religious um and she did very much like see her heaven and would talk about it like in like using the word heaven and all that and um our priest father Dan I because I grew up Catholic I went to Catholic school for nine years um as my mom um in Catholic high school as well actually for her but she was really close with one of the priests that worked at my school, Father Dan. And he came over multiple times when she was in hospice and like gave her a final mass, gave her basically her like final rites, um, which isn't actually a thing anymore, but it's just like something that people do sometimes just to help mm-hmm. dying people feel better. Mm-hmm. But Father Dan came over the day before she died and she had been sleeping full, like, you know, as dying people do, they don't really wake up a lot and he walked in the room and she all of a sudden woke up and goes father dan it was like the first thing she had said in like two days like seriously so that was really cool and that made me 
understand that she is connected to something beyond this life, this plane of existence. What that is, I don't know. And honestly, I don't have a lot of questions about it either because I think it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think that everyone can be right and everyone can be wrong. We have no answers. We have no proof. We have nothing. And if you find some comfort in something beyond yourself and beyond this world, power to you. Mm -hmm. Take it. Go for it. I have not found that yet. And I don't think I'm necessarily searching for it mm-hmm. in this moment. Not my change. But I also just think, you know, putting a, a label and putting um, a name or word out there that is, quote unquote, the truth is just not real. And that, that can be really hard. It can be really hard. Because it's super normal to lose faith in God or a higher power when you lose your person. Mm-hmm. And I won't say, I mean, I, I didn't really have much of a faith before. So I genuinely, in all honesty, didn't lose faith when my mom died because it wasn't there to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe in people. I believe karma actually is something that helps me get through the day mm-hmm. because I do believe like when bad things happen to good people or when good things happen to bad people, it's just there's something else happening that we don't know about. Like mm-hmm. one of my favorite quotes is it's all going to be okay if in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. My mom's life ended and it was terrible and it is terrible. But we got a lot back from that. We got the most insane community just doing the most amazing things. And like, I don't know. I think just to say when you think about karma as in just like good actions will have good reward that I think about it a little bit more abstract than that mm-hmm. of goodness will echo goodness, you know, and yeah. badness will echo badness. And you might just not understand it in that moment, but it's all there. Yeah. No. So I totally get that. Yeah. So I definitely have some sort of some belief system. Actually, I wouldn't call it a system. I have some sort of belief <laughs> something, but being able to define it is, to, I'm not able to define it even a little bit. Well, and you don't have to be. Yeah. I and feel I'm like, not really looking to either. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of, of like people feeling stuck after they lose someone mm. is the lack of, or the need of, or the change of like thought in something bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hard for people to talk about it, especially if they're not in an accepting situation, you know? Right. Yeah. Very good point. Totally. Yeah. All right, Melani. Well, that's all I had for you. Also, her name is not Melani. It's Melanie. I mean, call her Mel, but I just like calling her Melani Domino because it makes me laugh. And I try to call her Caitlin Rian. It doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. It goes badly every time. <laughs> it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. And as always, it is oh, what wait, it is. No, oh, what? Go back. Do you have anything else? Like, do you have like anything? Oh. Well, it's your episode. How do you want to close it out? I don't know. Um, I think that something that is really important is that if, like, something that I realized is so many things I was feeling when I was grieving, like, in that first year especially, I was afraid to tell people because I was afraid that it would sound stupid or or not valid or whatever. Um, 
And so I harbored it all to myself. And I would tell people, I'm fine. Like, just I just miss my mom. And I would never really elaborate on what the grief looked like for me. Mm. Because it looked like a lot of different things. Um, and then it wasn't until I went to group grief counseling that I was like, oh my God, more people feel like this than just me? Like, this is amazing. And then to talk about it more and then having the confidence to talk about it in that like situation gave me the confidence to talk about it in other situations where I wasn't sure how people were going to respond. And I think it made me feel like more connected to my present. Ooh. Because I think it's really hard for me still, really hard for me still to feel connected to my present because it just doesn't feel like anything big is happening. And that's saying something because my dad has cancer right now <laughs> and I go to treatment with him weekly. Mm-hmm. So something big is happening, but it just doesn't feel like it ever. It just kind of feels like another mundane day without mom worrying about whether or not my dad's going to make it past the next treatment. Like, okay, who cares? So talking about my grief helps me so much and it annoys the shit out of people and I get it. And I'm very grateful. It's really annoying to me. <laughs> I'm very, very grateful, but I'm more grateful, especially to you. And especially to, like, my boyfriend is amazing at listening to me grieve over and over and over again. My cousin is amazing at listening to me grieve over and over again. And I just, I just, I think it's important for people who are grieving to know that even if it's annoying the shit out of someone, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You have to do what you have to do. And maybe later down the line, I'll look back at this and I'll be like, I really should have just like talked to someone else um, or done something differently. But it doesn't matter because the mistakes I'm making now are making the person I'm going to be in the future, Mm -hmm. if it even is a mistake. But it feels like what I'm doing right now is what I need to do to get through it. And that's okay. Absolutely. You deserve to take up space. Yeah. You And your grief deserves to take up space. Like you, you don't need to be sorry for having feelings and being a person and wanting to work through that. Like it's yeah. admirable because it's fucking hard to do. It's hard. So good on you for like creating this, you know, area and having these friendships and having these relationships where you can do that because someday they're going to need you too. And they're going to know that it's okay because you created space for yourself. So now therefore you're creating space for them too. Like it's right. only doing good. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think that, knowing that even if your situation is like different, that someone who has experienced a similar situation of loss will want to be there for you. Mm. And that you opening up about your loss, as long as you're doing it in a way that's semi-invited, it's not impeding on another person. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something that we even learned about each other. You know, like I remember right after my mom died and you were like, things are really hard with my mom right now. And you were a little bit nervous to talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy you talked to me about it because I just went through it. And like, I wanted to hear how it was for you. And I wanted to hear the similarities and differences. I wanted to have somebody to listen like about their grief instead of just talking about mine. Like people like crave community. Mm-hmm. It's just normal for the human existence. And it's so important to be able to to make yourself either open up or be open to listening. Yeah. If you're in that position, I think. Absolutely. And I think it prevents a lot of future issues mm-hmm. if you can address it in the moment. Absolutely. Which is hard. 
Because I'll tell you, like, I was not into grieving that first year. <laughs> I was not into it. And I fa- I really faced the music the second year. And even now, still facing the music. And I think that's another thing that I think about a lot is that I keep waiting for it to feel less hurtful that my mom died. Mm-hmm. I keep waiting, like, well, time. Time heals all wounds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, for me at least. Yeah, I... Yeah, just wait around. (laughs) Isn't that great advice? Just wait, and it'll be over. Like, fuck off. I can't (laughs) handle it. And so I feel like it's important to not... Again, we talk about expectations a lot, but to not have the expectation that things will get better, just that they'll change. Mm. And it just makes it a little bit easier. You know? Love that. Like, I'm just going to exist, and things are going to change. Okay, that's way better, like way more, less anxiety provoking. There's no pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no pressure to perform. There's no pressure. If things aren't better, am I doing something wrong? Like, why aren't I feeling better yet? Like, am I not doing enough? Am I doing this? Um, and I think that with those that pressure and those expectations, to realize that you're not going to be the same you you were. And it's okay that you're changing and it's okay that your relationships change. And to know that what serves you will always come back to you. Whether it's karma or it's the God's plan, who knows? Mm-hmm. It's just about something in the universe knowing that what serves you will stick with you. Mm. Even if grief has made you a different person to them, you know? Yep. Yeah. Snaps to that. I have sweaty hands right now, so I can't snap. <laughs> I like it a little bit. Yeah, it <laughs> All right. Well, that was beautiful. That was my story. All right. So that was our good pal, Mel Domino's episode. We just heard a lot about her journey and where her journey is going. And we're back in current times. Back in current times. <laughs> we just made it through Thanksgiving, yo. We just made it through Thanksgiving. And we wanted to touch on a couple of holiday feelings because they can be hard. Grieving in the holidays sucks ass. I'll just say it as it is. It can be beautiful. I'll give it that, but it sucks. Um, I have had, you know, this is my third Thanksgiving without my mom. The first two were so rough. So rough. I mean, the first one, I remember um, ending the night eating pie in my bed crying. <laughs> so, you know, how it should be. Um, and the second one, <laughs> I remember calling Kate before the dinner even started crying. Um, and this third one was different. And it gave me a lot of hope. Um, because it just felt like low expectations. We just showed up. We didn't have to do anything. We were just kind of guests. We fought a little throughout the day. We missed mom. We talked about mom. And then we just did the day. Um, But I do want to acknowledge, Kate and I talk about this a lot. Um, As you've heard in our last episode, like the firsts are hard. And the seconds are hard. And the thirds are hard. And the fourths are hard. Because as you continue throughout the years, you realize this isn't my first Thanksgiving without mom or whoever. This is just Thanksgiving now. This is what it looks like without this person who kept our family glued or who was my person or who, whatever. 
it becomes your reality instead of just this weird limbo you're in. And so we want to talk about (laughs) working through the holidays when you're grieving a loved one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, this was my first experience with a significant holiday that was not a first. So my mom died in June of last year. And there's not a whole heck of a lot of holidays between June and November. There's a few. There's 4th of July, but that's not really like a family holiday. You know, it's more of like a fun friend party holiday, whatever. That's really the only like significant holiday aside from, I mean, there's Halloween too, but same kind of thing. Yeah. Thanksgiving is a family holiday and there's lots of traditions surrounding Thanksgiving. And my sister... We did Thanksgiving together last year. We went to the store like late night on like Tuesday or something last year before Thanksgiving. We got all the stuff and we cooked last year and it was great, but it was COVID. So it was small and it was just, we didn't really have to worry about that much. This year, my sister actually had COVID, unfortunately, even though she's boosted, which is nuts. That is nuts. I know, but she's a teacher, so God bless her. But she got COVID and so I had to do all the shopping by myself. And I, I have a lot of skills <laughs> being, <laughs> I'm type B. <laughs> that is a wonderful way to put I'm this. type B. <laughs> My sister is type A. <laughs> so Thanksgiving shopping without her was difficult <laughs> because she gave me a list and I completed the list or so I thought, but it was like, no, you have to think about this conceptually. When it says onion, think about how many onions you need. You need like three onions for all things. Just stuff like that. So we arrive at my dad's house on Thanksgiving at about noon to start cooking for our family that's coming over in three hours at 3 p.m. And my sister unpacks everything and she's like, uh, where's all of this shit? Where's all of this? And I was like, uh, well, I didn't buy it. And I like, literally we were talking and my sister, bless her soul was being so patient with me and was just being so good because I was beating myself up. I was just like, I fucked up Thanksgiving. I can't believe I fucking ruined this holiday. Losing my mind. And she was like, it's fine. It's totally fine. Everything's fine. And we made a little list and I went to the grocery store and on the way to the grocery store, I could feel myself starting to cry and I knew it was going to come. And I go to the grocery store. I do all the stuff. I call her and I'm just like, do I have everything now? And she's like, yeah. Need to go to my house now to get the pine nuts because pine nuts are impossible to find in a grocery store. Fucking pine nuts. They're so hard to find. So I didn't have pine nuts, but she had some at her house. And so I get back in my car. I don't even get I don't even get to my car before I call Mel because I start to cry. And I just was so angry. Very angry at my situation. And I just was talking to her and she just let me get it all out. And I basically was just upset because I'm too young to cook Thanksgiving dinner. We should not have to cook Thanksgiving dinner. I shouldn't have to do it. I shouldn't have to go grocery shopping because I forgot some stuff because I shouldn't be buying it in the first place. No, because, because moms do that. Moms do that and they never forget anything. They never forget anything. Moms are on it. And I should not have to cook because my mom should be here to cook and I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to do that. And I just got really angry and really upset that I have to cook Thanksgiving dinner. And you couldn't find the fucking pine nuts. I couldn't find the pine nuts. And I drove to my sister's house. And her sweet dog 
greeted me, gave me some lovin'. <laughs> and her boyfriend, Vince, gave me all the stuff that I needed. And I was just really crying, just like having a full breakdown. And I was also very hungover that day. And so Vince goes, is your hangover friendly catching up with you? And I was like, no, my mom's death is catching up with me. Oh my God. And yep. And he just is like looking at me because Vince has also experienced a lot of loss in his life. A lot of loss. He's had a, uh, many people leave him in his lifetime. And so he really gets it. And he's just kind of looking at me and... I was just like, I just shouldn't have to do this. We shouldn't have to do this. This is just stupid. We shouldn't have to deal with this. And he walks up to me, puts his hand on my, hands on my shoulders and goes, at some point, we all have to cook our own turkeys. Oh my <laughs> God. And then he gives me a big hug and it helped me so much. That is so helpful. It was really That helpful. is the perfect response. It wasn't, I'm sorry. It was just. It wasn't, what was you? I get it. It sucks. We're all going to do it. Eventually, we all have to cook our own turkeys. Yep. God damn. I know. And it was so helpful to me. And I just, it sounds so silly, but I just want to pass that sentiment on where we are at points in our lives where we shouldn't have to be dealing with the things we have to deal with. Whether you are 50 and grieving a parent or you are 14 and grieving your sibling or whatever, all of the things in between. We are all too young. None of us got enough time. Mm-hmm. We are all sad. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how much or how little you got with this person. It's still sad. And, and it's the not holidays enough time. are still sad. And the holidays suck the worst. Because there's an expectation to be complete and to be whole and be together and be happy and thankful. And, you know, we have a thousand things to be thankful for. And... We express them and it's still okay in that same moment to feel pissed your mom's not there too. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel both, you know, and I, I don't think it's, they're mutually exclusive. Like you can feel thankful for your health and feel pissed off that your mom died of cancer and that is okay to feel both at the same time. And I feel like it's super normal to feel it at the holidays, especially Especially a holiday surrounding cooking and family time and this and that. It makes it so hard. So, as we move into this holiday season, we have Christmas, we have New Year's Eve coming up. I just want to, we want to put a tool in your toolbox. Um, Something I talk about with my therapist a lot is the ABCs of the kind of therapy I do. And that is accumulating positivity, building mastery, and coping ahead. So, between now and Christmas, I challenge you or invite you to accumulate positivity. So, I call it the positive bank. And my boyfriend and I kind of have fun with it because every time we have a really solid moment or memory that's intentional, we kind of take a mental snapshot and say, we're adding this to the bank. Because the more you build up in your positive bank of these memories, these experiences, experiences, these things that make you feel happy and uplifted, then when you're feeling your grief, you're not six feet under with that grief. You hit rock bottom, or maybe you're a little bit above rock bottom because all of that bank of positivity you've built up can pad that feeling of the grief you're feeling. Mm. So when it comes to Christmas and maybe you're missing your mom, and you're feeling that super dark sucking feeling or whatever it may feel to you, 
you feel it. And then to bring yourself out of it in that moment, maybe you rely on your bank of positivity and you relive a really positive moment with your best friend or your dog or just yourself or whoever. Building mastery is basically having a hobby, I think. And <laughs> so I, I challenge or invite you between now and Christmas to pick something that you've always wanted to pick up or maybe you have and you never really applied yourself to it like journaling or playing the piano or riding your bicycle every day and start getting good at it. Apply your energy to that activity so it's very intentional. And not only can that help help you feel productive throughout the day, but it can also give you something to apply yourself to when you feel like you're lost in your grief. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. However, it is an option. And then coping ahead, which I feel like is going to be super, super helpful with the holidays, is imagining yourself grieving your person on Christmas, Christmas Eve, whatever. How are you feeling and what do you need? And how can you prepare yourself to give yourself that in that moment? So I know when I'm grieving, I usually need to talk about it. So maybe I prepare myself by telling Kate, hey, I might need to call you on Christmas. Is that going to be okay? And I call Kate on Christmas because I'm feeling like shit. And that was me coping ahead, knowing that I have a tool readily available to me that I can use that's going to help me get through that moment. So I invite you to find those ABCs for yourself between now and Christmas to see if maybe it helps you. And maybe it doesn't, and that's okay. But I have found it to be super helpful. I know, Kate, you said coping ahead has been super helpful to you. That's basically what I <laughs> live everything by. I am such a planner and I always try and think ahead of just like, when this happens, are you going to feel this way? How are you going to feel from here? <laughs> and sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's not. But most of the time, if I acknowledge that this feeling might come, it's easier to feel in that moment than it would be if I had just pretended like everything was going to be okay. So and I think that's kind of what the holidays are all about. You know this day is going to happen. You know that people are going to be weird about it. You know that there's going to be tradition, but the tradition's not complete because your person's not there. It's a whole bunch of stuff that's combined. And I feel like visualizing how it was and how it's going to be this year can be helpful because it just doesn't take you as much by surprise. Yes. I think Kate puts it perfectly. It's about managing expectations, like we talk about in this podcast a lot, you know? This could happen, this could happen, this could happen. So let's manage our expectations for this day to make it doable for us in the moment. There you go. There you go. There's your tool. Add that to your toolbox. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. And again... Like we always say, if there are any tools that we're missing out on, anything that you guys have found helpful based on experience or things you've heard, things you've read, things you've listened to, we want to know about it. And we mm -hmm. want everyone in our community to know about it as well. So send us a message, comment on our Instagram, send us an email, whatever. We want to share as much information as possible to make this community as well versed in grief and coping as we can. We're all just there for each other and we're all, this is what it's all about, you know, is just not feeling alone. Not feeling alone. And we want to hear it. Mm -hmm. And if you disagree with something we said, we also want to hear that. Absolutely. Grief Give is diverse. Give us some flack, guys. Give <laughs> us some flack, but also be gentle. 
But also... We're very sensitive. <laughs> I'm more sensitive than her. So if you're going to get me flagged, be gentle, please. <laughs> oh my god. Um, well, thank you for listening. And as always, it is what it is. And it's okay to not be okay. See you next week. Cheers.